Demonstrations on the seven words of the cross as presented on Good Friday night in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown, March 27, 1970. It is Friday. The day is very dark. Though it's high noon, it's as dark as midnight. Storm clouds gather overhead and the place is called the place of the skull. We're on a green hill far away. This place is called in Hebrew Golgotha. The Latin calls it Calvary. And here it was on this day many hundreds of years ago that the most important thing that has ever happened to mankind took place. Jesus Christ, he died upon the cross. All sorts of people were gathered at the foot of the cross that day, soldiers, priests, relatives, loved ones, friends, and yes, even enemies. People had seen other crucifixions, but Jesus' death upon the cross was different. Just as this man had lived as no other man had lived, this man was to die as no other man can die. Crucifixion was horrible, and the people, though in this particular situation, saw something that they had never seen in other crucifixions, for whenever the criminal was condemned to die, his body was not only nailed to a post, but you could hear him cry all sorts of blasphemies and call down oaths and curses upon his executioners. But this man swore not. This man did not allow a curse to be upon his lips. Instead, this man prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This man was to speak seven sentences from that place of crucifixion. Come with us now and mourn with us a while as we wait upon the death of the cross. Jesus' first words were spoken to grant forgiveness unto those who were committing a sin and did not know it. His second word was spoken to a man who had sinned and who knew it. On that day that was growing darker by the moment, Jesus was hanged between two thieves. One of them was most disrespectful to our Lord, being interested only in saving his life from the cross. But the other one was the penitent thief, and he was interested in saving his life beyond the cross. Strange, but perhaps the only man on that hill, perhaps the only one in all of Jerusalem, the only one in the world that believed on Jesus that day was this sinner. Only he believed the sign that was upon the head of the cross. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. The scriptures do not name this individual. He has remained nameless down through the centuries. 
I like that. Because this penitent thief who knew that he had sinned and knew why it was that he was dying could therefore be you or it could be me. He did not know why Christ was being crucified, but he knew he has a right to be crucified. Perhaps the crucifixion of Christ was unjustified, but his, he had asked for it. He knew the sins that he had committed. He could name them one by one. But he knew also that in the center cross was a Christ that could grant him paradise. So he said, Father, when you come into your kingdom, please remember me. And our Lord said unto him today, Now shalt thou be with me in paradise. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the whole world this night, knowing of its sin, as individual people, we would come to the center cross, and together we'd say, O Lord, hear us, hear us, holy Jesus, as we confess our sin unto thee. Two words have been spoken now, and still more times goes by. The dark gets darker. Christ has given a prayer of forgiveness for those who sinned and knew it not. Christ has given assurance of pardon and of paradise to the one who knew it and asked for Christ to hear him. Now he looks down from the cross and he sees only love, the love of his friend, John, and the friend and the love of his mother, Mary. All the other disciples who said that they would never leave him nor would forsake him had left him. Out of fear they had run away from the crucifixion. Oh, John was frightened and he too probably wanted to run, but his love was greater than his fear. And then this woman, Mary, she and God had brought Jesus into this earth. She remembered when he was but a small boy more than 33 years ago, shortly after he had been born, that one day a prophet in the temple had warned her that this particular child would bring sorrow into her life and her heart would be pierced like with a sword. Jesus had been somewhat of an enigma to her. Many times she could not understand him and oftentimes in misinterpreting what he was trying to say, she she felt the hurts and the blows that perhaps come from a son who does not quite understand his mother. The mother understood the son, though, and though these had hurt many, many ways, this sting was worse than anything she had ever felt. Every nail that pierced his body pierced also the flesh of her heart. Every moment of agony that he felt in his bones, she felt in the depths of her soul. Jesus' eye caught that of his mother, and he loved her. He wished that he could give her something. He couldn't give her of his clothes. The soldiers had those, and they were now gambling for his robe. 
He wished that he had left her a home, but you remember foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man, he had no place to lay even his own head. He wished that he could have left her a will, but his will was only to do the will of his Father in heaven. So he could not give her any of these. He gave her the only thing that really a mother wants of any son. He gave her his love. And Mary took it. And John took the love which Jesus gave to him by giving him the most loving thing that he had on earth, his own mother. Woman, behold thy son. Behold thy mother. They were able to take these gifts because, you see, during all of this, they were at the station of love, and they could receive the great gift of God's love through Jesus Christ, because even at the cross, their station of love they had been keeping. After the third word, there was a long, long period of silence. The afternoon grew darker. We think perhaps maybe two hours passed before another word was spoken. Everyone on the hill was still. And then suddenly, with perhaps the loudest voice that Jesus ever used throughout his 33 years of life, he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And at that particular moment in history, we have not only the most important moment, the most holy, but perhaps the most hopeless moment that the world has ever known. The moment was holy because it was God that was upon that accursed tree. It was hopelessness because in this long second was the first and only second that Jesus was without God. This one who had been born by the power of the Holy Spirit, this one who had been baptized by God's Spirit, this one who had been led throughout all of his life by God's holiness for the first time in his life was without God. For our sakes he voluntarily entered into sin. And this man who was without sin throughout every moment of his life, in the moment of the cross, he entered into sin so that he may know the world about which we are a part. The sinless one became sin for us sinners to save us. In that moment, Jesus Christ was in hell. He knew what it was to be without the presence of his Father in heaven. The anguish was horrible. He could not help but from the depths of his lungs cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But this was necessary. Because before we could become like him, he had to become like us. Before there could be reconciliation between God and man, there had to be the desolation of man with hell.
So on this very horrible moment, in the fourth word from the cross, our Lord was bound upon the accursed tree, living and knowing what it was to be in hell. Again, we think it was a long time before Christ spoke again. It was probably very close to the hour of three in the afternoon. The sky had grown darker, the atmosphere quite heavy. When Christ did speak again, it was to speak his shortest utterance from the cross. In his native tongue, he said the words which are interpreted, I thirst. Christ had been to the depths of despair. God had come back into his midst. He knew what it was again to be with his Father. And he realized also what it was to be a man. You see, it was... Christ's role, not just to show man God, but also to show man true humanity. And he did this by saying from the cross, I thirst. He really was very thirsty. Remember, it was now probably 18 hours since he had last taken of a cup. He had gone through trial. He had been beaten. He was despised. He had been rejected by his own. He had gone through so much, and now his body craved for that which any man's body needs. We can go without food for a long time, but we can not go nearly as long without water. So he cried, I thirst. And in this particular utterance, it shows not only his true humanity, his personal want and desire and need, but he also spoke a word of prophecy. For here it was that Christ was showing man what any man needs if he is to be truly man. He needs to drink from that well that shall never run dry. He needs the word of God, which is as water to the grass of the field. Any individual who wants to be truly man is only man when he cries out for help from his creator, and he does so through another individual asking for help for the necessities of life. So Christ did what probably none of us would have done. He asked a man who was putting him to death for a cup of water, thus showing unto us that when we feed upon God's word and thirst after his righteousness and call upon our fellow men to help us to do so, we find not only quench for our thirst, but we find the meaning of true humanity. Jesus, in thy thirst and pain, show us not only your humanity, but lead us where the healing waters flow. After the thirst of Christ was wetted, he again in a very loud voice shouted forth, It is finished. Many thought that he was finished by the looks of him, 
But actually what was finished was the work which Christ came to this earth to do. Christ had come to show man God, and this he had done not only in his life, but as we have seen also, he did this upon the cross. Christ came to show man how to live and how to be true man, the creation of the great creator. And this Christ did, not only with his teachings, but he did it also on the cross. So everything that he was destined to achieve here on earth, he accomplished and he finished it that afternoon on Golgotha Hill. He had come to unite man with God, creation with creator. He did what no man can ever do for himself. We have this only as we believe in faith, as Christ achieved it for us. And the Bible tells us the moment that he spoke this word, it is finished, one word in his native tongue. The great curtain which separated the holies of holies from the congregation downtown in Jerusalem at the temple, it was torn asunder from top to bottom as a visible reminder for all man for all time that the great gulf which had invaded mankind through the sin in the garden had once and for all been bridged through the reconciliation of Jesus Christ. His work was finished. The reason that he had been brought down at Christmas was fulfilled there on Good Friday afternoon in the darkness of the day. We have been made one with God through Christ, and we have the promise that whosoever believeth on this should not perish, but should have life everlasting. On that afternoon, we were made one with God once again, and it was done by the perfect life of love. Yes, all is finished now. The day grows darker, all the candles are out but one. Christ has done everything that he was destined by God to do. He prayed over the world, he gave assurance to those who confess their sin, he took care of the mothers and the loved ones, he descended into hell for our sakes, he thirsted, and he finished the work which all had to be done and was his to do. There was but one thing now for him to do, and that was to die, to show man how to die as well. And as he took care of everything on the cross, it was on the cross where he showed us how to die. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Beautiful words, but words that would have been familiar to you if you had been there on that original Golgotha Hill. These were the words that every mother taught every Hebrew child, just as you mothers and fathers have taught your children how to pray, Now I lay me down to sleep. This was a part of a favorite psalm. And every Jewish household had learned in its infancy 
that the sweetest prayer is the prayer of a child, a child who puts all of his confidence in God's goodness and grace in God's providence. Father, into thy hand I commend my spirit. Jesus did not request that his life be taken. He asked God to take his own person and to take it back to heaven from whence it came. Jesus said, No man takes my life away from me. I lay it down and I can take it up again. When his work was done, Jesus voluntarily gave his body, his life, his all back to God from whence it had come. He had gone as a sheep goes to slaughter to become a ransom for us all. And how beautiful in the words of a little child, he became our Lamb of God. In the quietness and sacredness of this darkness, we bring to a close the words from the cross, the words which were spoken by our Lord, who also said, Unless you become as a little child, you shall never enter into the kingdom of God. So come with me this night and enter into the kingdom. For ladies and gentlemen, Christians, behold the Lamb of God.